Yeah, kids, how did you go? Did you go well with presents? There's a few people a little bit muted. Did you get everything that you wanted? I wonder, you don't have to put your hand up about this one because this one's probably a little bit offensive if you put your hand up, right? But I wonder if anyone got a gift that the giver wanted. Have you ever seen one of those? Like someone buys someone else a jackhammer? You know, you buy your wife a jackhammer. You, what are you going to do with that? All right? In the, uh, in the past, Angela's made it very, very clear to me, don't ever buy me technology for a present, all right? There is a very real sense in our family, like technology is a present for me because it, it means that I don't have to keep limping along old technology that my wife's using. Maybe you didn't do so well today. Well, I want to I wanna encourage you. If you didn't do so well with the gifts today, I want to encourage you that it could have been worse. That's a good encouragement, isn't it? So I've, I've, uh, I've, I've found some Christmas presents that maybe are a little bit worse. Just to encourage anyone who's thinking, well, you know, it was, a bit, it was a bit soft on this year. Well, the first one, I know they do this in Japan, but someone could have bought you air. <laughs> it's just $5 for a can of air, thanks. Yeah, that, that'd be great. Um, this one's just a little bit freaky, but there is such a thing as a teddy bear lamp. <laughs> it's, it's a bit, they could have got your hand of pants. <laughs> And you can't actually still buy this one uh, if, you know, pr- maybe a Boxing Day sale on this one. You can get the Pessimist, pessimist Mug, which is, uh, there's a line on it telling you when it's half empty. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that uh, people often say when they go shopping or uh, even at, at Christmas time is I'll say things like this. I'll say, that's just what I've been looking for. Uh, sometimes we can say it about musicians and about songs that we hear. I wonder whether it's ever happened to you where you find you finally found the band that's you. Like that's just you. It's just it's exactly what you love. It's exactly what you've been looking for. It just resonates really, really well with you. Some people say it about their spouses. They say, where have you been all of my life? And that's, that's a bit of a statement that, that they've found something that they've been looking for. Or maybe you went Christmas shopping and, uh, and you found something, you just went, that is just what I've been looking for for that person. And maybe even this morning when you unwrap presents, if people gave you presents today, I'm, you know, if they didn't, I'll give you a cuddle later, that'll, that'll be my present to you. But if they gave you uh, presents this morning and you unwrapped it, um, you might have even said this morning, that's just what I needed. That's just what I wanted. You see, what people are really saying when they're saying these things, that they've found, that they've found something that meets a desire that they actually have. I remember when I was at uni, I went to Sydney Uni, and uh, at the time, I think the Fisher Library was just about the biggest uh, library in uh, Australia, I think it might have been. And uh, I remember I had an assignment to do, and you know, in my head, I had the quote that I really needed for a particular assignment, and I thought, someone has to have written that somewhere, all right? I've just got to find that, but who knows? I mean, now it would be completely different. What would we do to find that one? Google it, right? So you guys are all over it. You see, there, in a sense, there was a desire inside of me and I was, I was looking for something that was actually going to meet that desire. You see, <clears throat> when we say things like that, we're really saying there's a connection between desire and longing and the meeting of it. And here's the thing, you have lots and lots of desires in your life. Some of them are really big and some are small. And who knows that it can be really, really tough to live with unfulfilled desire. Has anyone ever, ever had to do that? Just, that's really, really tough. Sometimes people, and I just, just a quick note, sometimes people have to live with unfulfilled desire at Christmas time when it comes to relationships, right? 
that relationships, they're just not what they're meant to be. And Christmas becomes really difficult. And you know what some people do with, with unfulfilled desires or disappointment with desires is they truncate the desires and they make them smaller. It's like, I just, I just want to be content. I just want to be satisfied. I just want to be happy. And I want to just challenge you on Christmas Day today. Is that the biggest vision that you've got? Is the biggest vision that you've got for your desires and your longings that you just be content and satisfied? Is that the best that we can actually shoot for? You see, I want to suggest to you this morning that the problem with desires is, is not that they need to be truncated because they get disappointed. It's that you actually don't go far enough with your desires. That's your problem, all right? You actually stop for something or settle for something less. And part of the problem with it is that our desires often terminate on the wrong thing. That's a pair of glasses. Glasses are supposed to help you see better. But you know what? If those glasses, and hang with me for this illustration here, if I was standing looking at the painting of the Mona Lisa with those glasses and they were filthy dirty, it would not make any sense at all for me to say that painting is a disgrace. It's terrible. Anyone else would come up and go, clean your glasses, champ. All right? That is an amazing painting and people have admired that for, for years and years. The issue is not with the object, the issue is with your vision, your view of it. And I want to suggest to you this morning that every single longing and desire that you have is ultimately a longing and a desire for God. That's what it is. And you know what happens sometimes is we have these desires for relationship, we have these desires for lots of different things and, and they go wrong and our glasses get dirty and we give up on the desire. And I want to suggest to you today that that's a large part of our problem is that we give up on desires. We actually don't push through a lot of the time to the richness and the fullness of what that desire was actually put in you for. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You actually desire God. Whether you go to church normally or not, whether you love Jesus or not, every desire and longing that you have, that, hasn't, that, that part of it that hasn't been corrupted and kind of messed with, is, is a desire ultimately for God. Let me give you some examples. Who here would like to receive selfless, trustworthy, unending love from someone that they can trust to be faithful and helpful? Who would like that? You would, right? You know, humanity loves the idea of, of there being unity between the great, within the great diversity of humanity. We love the idea, and people talk a lot of the time at Christmas time about peace and living in oneness with mutual benefit. We talk a lot about communication, not just information, but actually face-to-face -face communication between people. We, we, we push toward community. We have a longing for community, a longing for significant relationships that are devoted to something larger and greater than our individual lives. We all know that humans were not made to be hermits living on their own. We, we instinctively know that it's good when someone humbly pours themselves out unreservedly for the benefit and the well-being of others. We want peace and harmony. We, we want a selfless common good where everyone does what is best for all and is not so viciously and exclusively devoted to self-interest and tribal concerns. You know, every one of those things that I've just described, you know where they come from? They come from the Trinity. 
The Trinity is the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. They unceasingly live for each other. They're in unity, they've got diversity. All of those things I just said are things that exist within the Trinity. That's the reality of how the Trinity operates. And if you've ever had longings for those kind of things, what you're longing for is you're longing for God. But it's Christmas, right? So today we talk about Jesus. We focus on Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to spend a few more minutes just talking about three longings that I think you have for Jesus. You know, 800 years earlier in Isaiah uh, 9 verse 6, the prophet Isaiah writes this about Jesus who is to be born. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. You notice, just back up, the first line here, you see that? The child's born, the son's given. See, that, that's actually a reference to the Trinity. Jesus didn't start existing when he got born as a human. He became a child at that moment. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here we go, three aspects of Jesus that I think you long for. You know what the first one is? We long for a wonderful counsellor. Amen? You see, what do we do? We get in trouble, we go home, what do you do? You talk to your family, you talk to your friends, you get advice. What do I do now? People offer each other counsel every single day. Lowercase c counsel, we're giving it to each other all the time. You know, I'm, for whatever it's worth, I'm a registered counsellor. And um, Early on when I was doing paid counselling with people, I, they would tell me their stories and their stories would just spin me out and I'd just go, I, I'm not a, I don't even know what to do with that right now. And so I'd just listen to them and sometimes I'd actually say to them, and I thought it was kind of uh, an appropriate thing to say and it turned out not to be, but I would say uh, to them, you know, I, I don't really know what to do with that right now. And they never came back. <laughs> A whole bunch of them, well, not all of them, but a whole bunch of them never came back. You know why? Because what they wanted is they wanted a counsellor. They wanted someone who could actually take some, uh, some cues from their life and just kind of decode things a little bit. They want someone who can unlock their struggles and their secrets. So what do we do? We pay people to do that, don't we? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that's what we do. We pay people to do it. It's like, is there someone... I, I have thought, uh, not, not so much anymore, but a while ago, I just thought, I would love to talk to someone who could just unlock what's going on inside of me. The things that just don't seem to make sense, the stuff that kind of works against me, I'd love to just find the person who I could tell them my story and they could tell me exactly what's going on in there. So we pay people. And sometimes we say that they need to see a professional because they have a big problem. And sometimes professional people carers and pastoral carers that you pay are really disappointing. <laughs> they just don't do that well. And I don't do that well sometimes when I'm counselling people. It's, it's difficult sometimes. There's some really difficult situations that people find themselves in. You see, part of the reason why, uh, you know, the, the counsel that we get from each other can be a little bit disappointing is because you actually are looking for better, a better counsellor than that. Who's up for that? Isn't that true? You're actually, you're not just looking for, I'll take him, uh, I'll take her, she's free. I get home in the afternoon, I can talk about stuff and then, you know, I'll, I'll just take it with a grain of salt. But at the end of the day, underneath, I think what we actually want is we actually are looking for someone who's going to be a wonderful counsellor. I think uh, you're looking for Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to put a uh, quote up here from the Atlantic magazine in 2012. You won't be able to read it because it's too small, but I'm going to read it for you. 
In the face of this social disintegration, we've essentially hired an army of replacement confidants, an entire class of professional carers. As Ronald Dawkin pointed out in a 2010 paper for the Hoover Institution, in the late 40s, the United States was home to 2,500 clinical psychologists, 30,000 social workers and fewer than 500 marriage and family therapists. As of 2010, the country had 77,000 clinical psychologists, 192,000 clinical social workers, 400,000 non-clinical social workers, 50,000 marriage and family therapists, 105,000 mental health counsellors, 220,000 substance abuse counsellors, 17,000 nurse psychotherapists and 30,000 life coaches. The majority of patients in therapy do not want a psychiatric di diagnosis. This raft of psychic servants is helping us through what used to be called regular problems. We've outsourced the work of everyday caring. Now, the article makes some really interesting comments, but what I really want you to notice there is, at the very least in America, and I think in, in large part Australia would fall into line behind that, we want a counsellor. Did you get that? I mean, we've grown exponentially. I'm not bagging the professional counselling and psychology thing at all. I'm just saying it's blown out. And what, what's that telling you? It's telling you that all of us, we, we struggle and we're looking for someone who's going to be able to unlock that and help that. And so my encouragement for you today is don't sell Jesus short. You know, if we go back to Isaiah 9, we actually see that the, uh, the definition of wonderful, you know, I love doing definitions. Do you know what the definition of wonderful is? A miracle. A marvelous thing. You know, one way you could actually translate the Hebrew that got translated as counsellor is, he is a wonder of a counsellor. Now, I'll tell you, some of you know that. Some of you know that, don't you? Some of you follow Jesus for a long time and he unlocks you, doesn't he? Doesn't he do that? Doesn't he sort out the tangle? I mean, we can be like a, a tangled fishing line and he somehow is able to untangle that thing. He's the great untangler of knots. You know, a... Um, a few days ago, and in fact, about a week ago, and just, I'll just be really transparent with you, I, I was really struggling with anxiety. I was, I was worried about a whole bunch of stuff. And it had been with me for a while, and it was, I'd go to bed at night, and I'd be tired, and I was awake, and I couldn't go to sleep. I was, uh, you know, it's a bit embarrassing, but I sleepwalked. And Anne said to me, she goes, why, why did you put the fan on three last night? And I'm going, I didn't put the fan on three. And I tend to sleepwalk, I think, when I'm anxious and when I'm worried about stuff and when I feel stressed. You know, what happened for me is that it just, it just got to the point and it wasn't an audible voice and God didn't kind of speak to me, but I just felt in my gut I needed to stop and talk to Jesus because he's the wonderful counsellor, right? So we stopped. Well, he was always ready. I stopped. And, and I talked with Jesus. And how does Jesus talk back to me? Well, in the Bible. That's how he talked back to me. So I just sat and I read the Bible. Because you know Jesus is called the Word. <laughs> the Word's another word for the Bible. He is the Word. And you know what? Anxiety started decreasing. All right? I'm just telling you, in the last week, he has been a wonder of a counsellor for me. I think that's what we're looking for. It's, it's good to go and get help. And sometimes you need to pay to get some help. Uh, just because it's going to be long-term or there's something really difficult going on and you, you need some case wisdom from someone, that's all good. I'm just saying don't stop there. Don't truncate your desire there. Push through that to, uh, to the one who is a wonder of a counsellor. Number two, 
I think that we long for an everlasting Father. Do you see this here in uh, Isaiah 9 verse 6? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. You know what everlasting Father means? Well, you know what a Father is? Everlasting in this context is the fact that God's always been around. And you know what else it means? Is that, you know, Scriptures talk about the fact that God wants to be close to you and that He'll always be with you if you're His child. That's what He said. Think about that. Imagine having a dad that's like that. Imagine having a dad that's never switched off. Imagine having a dad that's not task-oriented and he's over there doing something when I want to actually talk with him. Imagine having a dad who's always ready to talk. He's always with you. Imagine having a dad that never disappoints you. Imagine having a dad that's never absent, ever. Not emotionally, not physically. Now you, I'll tell you, you want that, right? <laughs> and, and the best dads disappoint. The best dads disappoint. I disappoint my own sons. But you know what? My desire, your desire, my son's desire for a father doesn't, should not terminate on natural dads. You know, it's like those pair of glasses. Look through the glasses to see Jesus. That's the desire that you've actually been given. Number three. Who knows this is true? We long for peace. Is the everlasting father the prince of peace? I want you just to think about this for a minute. Ange and I, uh, wife and I saw a, uh, watched a movie recently. Who's seen Sully? Who's seen that? Seen that movie? This is the, um, the story of the pilot that uh, landed an American Airlines uh, plane, I think, in the, in the Hudson uh, in, the, in wintertime. He had a bird strike when it was taking off, wasn't going to make it back to the airport to land, and so he, he ditched in the, in the Hudson River in New York there, and uh, everyone was saved. Do you know... Um, you know what I loved when I was watching this movie, and I've been to America a couple of times, is Americans, have you noticed this? They pride themselves on being good rescuers. Have you noticed that? They love it. They've almost got a strut in their step as they rescue people. Don't they? And I mean, you, you know that the military kind of ethic in, uh, in America is uh, don't ever leave a man behind. So they do these ridiculous rescue missions that... Maybe other countries wouldn't even try, but they do because you don't ever leave someone behind. They've got a, a, a kind of a strut in their step as they do that. You see, I, what is rescue? Re rescue is actually the restoration of peace, isn't it? Like you think about a jet going down on the Hudson in New York and the people standing on the wings and they're... And the rescuers are going, we think that they've got 15 minutes because the water's so cold, they might start dying after 15 minutes. And so there's, there's chaos on there, isn't there? And aren't the rescuers coming out? And what they're actually doing is they're coming out and they're grabbing people and they're wanting to restore the normal order of things and bring about peace. Do you see that? That's, that's what it is. And now if you, if you look at the underlying Hebrew word that's translated for us as peace, it's actually Salem. And what Salem is, it's the, it's, it's the peace that comes as a result of the correct, proper functioning of things. Listen to this from uh, Matthew 1, verse 18 to 21 about the birth of Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And I want to say to you this morning that there is nothing more peace-shattering than sin. And sin is when humanity turned away from God and loved something else more than God. Every single bit of strife that you experience in your life has its roots in sin. And in fact, the Bible is very clear about the fact that people who aren't in God's family are actually at war with him, actually don't like him. And we can actually see the evidence of that later on in Jesus's life where people didn't want to gather around Jesus. They didn't want to submit to him. They didn't want to follow him. So they had to kill him. You see, sin is pushing against God. It's turning away from God and it causes every little piece of strife that exists in our world. Even the strife that exists in nature. You see, every lack of peace is a shadow of the enmity between you and God. You see, you can think, maybe we could take a moment right now and, and just imagine what's the worst evil that, you could, that you've heard of? What is it? I mean, don't, don't say it out loud, but there's some brutal evil, isn't there? And it gets broadcast across our TV screens. It's brutal. Well, you know, it's the Godward element of that evil that is the most heinous thing because everything else has come out of that. So how does this, uh, this Jesus, this, this baby-born king, how does, how does he bring peace? Well, he goes to the cross and he deals with the core issue. That's what he does. He deals with your core issue. And you know what his heart for you is? His heart for you is to be fully human, to be truly human. That's what the project's on about. We, we love the idea that God's actually come down and across history he's had this story that he's been playing out, this true story that he's been playing out to restore the humanity in people. The defacing, dehumanising effects of sin and turning away from God, he's actually come, he's died on the cross to restore that. Let me finish with this. When Jesus was born... Two groups of people went looking for him and inquired about where he was. One group was led by Herod and the other group was led by the wise men. The wise men centred their lives around Jesus in terms of finding him. Herod wanted Jesus' life to centre on him. In fact, he wanted to kill Jesus. The wise men came to worship the king. I don't know whether you noticed, but in, uh, in Matthew, it actually specifically says that the wise men were coming to worship the one who was born king. Not the one who's going to become king, the one who was born king. Well, Herod didn't do that. Herod wanted to be worshipped as a king. The wise men came and they had their gifts, right? I mean, we don't even know how many wise men there were. We just know they brought three different types of gifts. They brought the gifts that they had and they... And they surrender them to Jesus. It's ironic, isn't it? That the wise men are bringing gifts to the, the gift to humanity, which was Jesus Christ. What, what did Herod do? Well, he clung on to his gifts. And he missed the greatest gift of all. You see, Herod never set foot in the same town as Jesus. 
He never saw him. But the wise men did. The wise men found Jesus. Herod died only a few years after Jesus was born and he never, ever met him. What a tragedy. And it's all in the way that you approach Jesus. And I want to suggest to you this morning that uh, Christmas is still about this choice. Everyone's seeking Jesus. Every desire, every longing that you have is a longing for Jesus. Everyone's seeking him. You can't help but not seek him. You know why? Because you are made by him. And like a dishwasher's made to work on power and plug into a PowerPoint, you're made to be connected to Jesus. So it makes sense that if you're going to decide, I'm going to disconnect from the socket, or you're going to be longing for the socket. (laughs) That's a weird analogy. You with me on it? You're going to be longing for the socket because you're never ever going to work properly unless you're connected to what you're made for. You're held together by him, by his word. He was born king, you're not. And I want to say to you this morning, some of you go, oh, that's, that's a bit intense. Well, no, not really. That's really good news for you. All right? Because you know, like if you're honest, you don't have to say it out loud, but if you're honest, you know you make a pretty sucky king. All right? So you don't know what I'm talking about? So we don't even really need anyone else to mess our lives up. Like, I can do that myself, thanks. All right, so just back off a little bit. You see, if you stubbornly desire to be the centre and the object of your own worship, you'll miss Jesus. You'll be like Herod. You may even find a way to get rid of him. Some people get rid of him by arguments, dumb arguments against him sometimes people blame christians for having nothing to do with jesus sometimes people justify themselves you'll find a way you'll find a way to do that but when you realize that all of your longings and your desires are ultimately a desire for jesus when you begin to seek him for who he is you know what happens you make a very very strange discovery (laughs) if you actually start to seek after jesus you, you make a really strange discovery at some point. You know what that is? You actually find that the one that you've been seeking for has actually been seeking for you all along. See, Luke 19 verse 10 says, The Son of Man, this is Jesus saying, he's saying it about himself, he says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And, and that either was all of us, There might still be some of us in this room, but it's good news, folks. The one that you seek, and you do seek after him, if you humble yourself and you say, I'll let you be king, you come and be king over me, the attitude of the wise men, we find that he's been seeking us all along.